Hello, it is 10 a.m. in New York, 4 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 9 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to In Transit with Sunday Bean. I'm an intercultural strategist, transformation facilitator, and a solution-oriented coach. And I'm on a mission to help you adapt and succeed through any life transition. When I think about probably the scariest life transition I've ever been in, it's definitely this journey into becoming a mother. The whole pregnancy about how is this going to work? Will it work? <laughs> um, the pregnancy, the labor itself, and then those first moments where you have that child in your arms um, has definitely been a process of surrender for me. And I had a healthy, normal pregnancy. I can't imagine what it would be like if you are in a pregnancy that comes after uh, pregnancy loss or you're in a high risk pregnancy. That is another level of dealing with surrender and trying to control what you can and let go of what you can't. So to join us today, we have an expert, Parashat Deshpande, who helps support others during their process um, when they're with neonatal loss, birth trauma, and more. So first, let me welcome you, Parashat, back to the podcast. Hi, Sunday. I'm so glad to be here. So Parishat um, was with us way back in episode eight. Please do not go back and listen to episode eight. <laughs> Parishat was amazing. I was very much a beginner at podcasting. Um, so let me reintroduce Parishat for those of you who are not familiar with her work. Um, she is a trauma-informed health strategist, high-risk pregnancy specialist, som somatic trauma professional, best-selling author. It's so cool to watch your book just get popular across the internet. Um, speaker, advocate for women who've been through second or third trimester loss, preterm delivery, natal, natal loss, birth trauma, and those who are preparing for high-risk pregnancy. Um, that's that's some big stuff, Parishat. You are by people's sides in, in times of so much surrender and so much uncertainty. Gosh, I, I mean, I can't imagine how it feels to do the work that you do. It's, you know, truly, as, as you know, I do this work because of my personal experience of having gone mm -hmm. through it. And so to, to be there for others in the way that I wished I'd had somebody for me feels like mm -hmm. why I'm on this earth. And so every single client and family and this new life that they're fighting to create and bring mm -hmm. into this world and then bring home, um, it just feels like such an honor every single time, every single time. Mm. I just, I have so many questions about your own process behind that because I know you're so impacted as a professional when you do that work. Um, but before we do that, I want to just say a little bit more about what you do. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on is because you specialize in somatic trauma healing. I want you to help us understand what that is in a second. Um, somatic trauma healing, integrative health, and mind-body medicine. Um, I was super interested because you help guide women to restore balance in their nervous system, their endocrine system, and their immune system to reduce the risk of pregnancy complications and preterm delivery in their next pregnancy. Like that's massive, right? You, you do so much. Uh, so you use the word somatic and not everybody understands what that is. Do you mind just giving a quick sort of definition of what somatic work is? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, somatic work, just means body-based. So it means mm -hmm. body first, thoughts mm -hmm. later. Yeah. Um, and 
what it needs to include in its purest form is, as I mentioned earlier, all parts of the body. So Mm -hmm. we are doing access to all branches of the nervous system. We are accessing and utilizing our musculature, our fascia, our joints, our ligaments, our tendons, um, movement, posture. I mean, we're doing all aspects of the body to really get deep in, uh, Mm. down to the cellular level of what it is that, what is our body telling us and then what does it need and then giving us that so we can complete that stress physiology cycle that we've been stuck in. Can you tell us a little bit more about your approach? I know you say you're trauma-informed, you've got a neurobiological approach to optimizing their health and their care. Can you just share more a little bit about what you do and how that is connected to your mission to ending prematurity and improving pregnancy um, outcomes worldwide? Absolutely. So when we look at the top 10 reasons, top 10 most common reasons for preterm delivery, on that list among smoking and recreational drug use um, and various other factors is stress. Now, Mm. when we hear the word stress, people often balk at that and say, what? I didn't cause my preterm delivery. And as somebody mm-hmm. who has a micro preemie, I, I get that. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think that having been the patient, it really opened my eyes to how much that actually does play a role. Not stress as in what I'm thinking and what I'm doing and how I'm at fault, but stress physiology. Like what is actually happening in our body when we say the word stress? And so it it is in that vein that I start I started diving into this world of neuroendoimmune work and uh, the integrative approach and the neurobiological approach because what I was very interested in is like I said what's happening inside the body when we say the word stress when we say that somebody is stressed, especially in pregnancy, what does that actually mean, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg, but something's happening underneath that is impacting health. And we know this outside of pregnancy, and I was Mm -hmm. particularly interested in pregnancy. And so my approach truly is looking at the nervous system and all aspects of the nervous system. So oftentimes when I say the word nervous system, people think we do deep breathing and that's absolutely not what we do because mm. that's uh, it's not a, um, a part of the body that we actually need to regulate. It can regulate on its own. So what we are focused on is the state of the nervous system and the impact that that state has on all other body systems, including the endocrine system which monitors hormones, as well as the immune system, which plays a significant role in the health of pregnancy. And what research has found is that that triad and how the three of them work together, and especially how dynamic they need to be in pregnancy, because they the state that they're in pre-pregnancy and the relationship to each other is different than first trimester, then second trimester, then third trimester. We have to allow for a body to be able to do that dance with those three mm. systems. So I sometimes use an analogy of a three-legged stool, but it's actually not that static. We're really looking at three different elements that actually do this beautiful dance together to support a healthy pregnancy. When we are in a body where the nervous system has identified a threat and shifted the body into a survival state, that dance changes. Mm. And that change actually impacts 
the health of the pregnancy and potentially maternal as well as fetal outcomes. And so what I typically do is kind of go through, a client will come to me and say, but I've done everything. I've gone to psychotherapy. I've been on medications. I have all these people on my team and it's still not something not, not quite there yet. Mm. And it's Mm -hmm. usually this. And so we go, okay, let's get out of your head and into your body. And Mm -hmm. let's see what is the story your body is telling us. And from there, we start piecing the puzzles together to say, okay, what's missing in the healthcare? What's missing in health education? What's missing in terms of what your body needs to no longer need to create this state of survival? And how do we get you into safety so that that dance between the three systems can resume the way it it needs to? Wow. Um, There's a lot there. <laughs> um, I'm also just thinking, you know, get, get out of your head and into your body is not an easy request. <laughs> it is not. It is not. No, it's oh, not. Wow. So um, tell me a little bit about, you know, why would someone come to work with you? Like what what's happening in their own lives that they end up working with you? Yeah. So in I've found that over the years, uh, the people who are really ready to do this work are ones who have unfortunately had lived experience of how things can go sideways. Mm-hmm. And typically, they are people like me who have experienced pregnancy complications and preterm delivery uh, in a previous pregnancy, or they've experienced second or third trimester loss mm-hmm. or neonatal loss. Um, they have gone farther than you're quote unquote supposed to make it and everything's mm-hmm. supposed to be fine. And then it mm-hmm. wasn't fine. Mm. And it was their lived experience that showed them either there was n- inappropriate or negligent medical care, or they had the right medical care that they wanted, but something was still missing from it. Mm, mm-hmm. And usually they will have checked a lot of boxes before they come to me. They've tried acupuncture and chiropractic and yoga and meditation and mindfulness. and They kind of have done the whole thing and then they come across trauma-informed care, mm-hmm. which unfortunately is not standardized in our maternity and prenatal world. And so that's kind of what piques their interest. And I think what really brings them over to say, yes, I'm ready, is this recognition that it has to be body-based because anything Mm -hmm. that we do that's thought-based is like just the tip of the iceberg expecting that we're going to address the whole thing. And and they have lived experience of that too, that that's not enough. It may have been helpful, but Mm -hmm. it's not enough. Right. And so between that and then just their vision of, I just don't want that to happen again. And I want to do everything in my power. And if this is a piece of the puzzle, I want to address it. And they're so clear about that. And that's mm. usually when we start working together. So, I mean, that's the thing that I've learned about trauma is this, how it is embodied and how it's maybe even in bodies that experiences are not even conscious, right? I've done some, you know, looking into like even intergenerational trauma. It's so complex, right? What is trauma-informed, right? Um, What does that mean? And how do people know that they're getting trauma-informed care? Yeah. So the phrase trauma-informed in and of itself isn't a great telling It's not quite illuminating as much as you would like Mm -hmm. to think. What you really want to work who you want to work with is somebody who's trauma trained because being mm-hmm. trauma informed is is a very different anybody can become trauma informed because if you mm-hmm. study enough but mm-hmm. trauma trained means you know how to actually 
take that knowledge and apply mm-hmm. it. So if you're working mm-hmm. with any kind of service provider, that's what you're looking for. Unfortunately, we're a little far from that. So we yeah. start with trauma-informed. Um, right. And in, in fact, in in my work, when I'm working with providers and practitioners, we actually even start with trauma-aware. Yeah. Are we even aware mm-hmm. of what trauma is? Right. And do you are you aware of how it's impacting your ability to be a provider or a practitioner? And are you aware of what that's doing to your patient, your client, your yep. customer? Right. Yep. So, you know, what we're looking for is a provider, a business owner, whoever it is, when you say trauma-informed, I think that generally is kind of the larger umbrella of, of these nuances I'm talking about, um, to be aware that the the state of my body and your body in this interaction will impact how this interaction goes, mm-hmm. right? If I had to put it really simply. Mm-hmm. And and it's this, this yeah. idea that if either one of us or both of us are in a survival state, what we are going to put into this interaction and what we are going to get out of this interaction will only be filtered through survival physiology. Meaning, mm-hmm. I if I'm in a survival state right now, I am much more likely to misinterpret uh, a vague facial expression or a change in your inflection in your voice as something that's threatening versus if mm-hmm. I were in safe physiology, I... I would be much more curious about, oh, I wonder what you meant by that. And maybe there's a different explanation for what what you just said or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And that is especially important, I think, in the medical system or any kind of healthcare system where there needs to be an immense amount of trust, not just with the provider, but also from provider to patient. And that needs to be there. And that is if it's dependent on the physiological state of each person in that relationship, then we need to be able to identify what those states even are to know how to build that trust, that safety, and that communication between the two. So for when I hear that, uh, I think it's very cutting edge when I think about the industry, right? Like, especially in the medical industry, it's about the other, you know, the patient, you're always looking at them and it's not about you. And even in psychology, right? It's this blank slate. So it's always about the other. And what I'm hearing you, there's something about attunement, attunement with yourself, attunement with the other. And I love this because I'm a qualitative um, communication researcher and I always believe that our presence impacts outcomes, right? So it's like just our, the state that we're in and our energy impacts people. So, oh my gosh, like that is, when I hear that, I hear it is such a high level. It's a high bar and it, but it's the right bar. Right. And it is, it is what we need to be thinking about to give people the type of care they deserve for these high stakes. Yes. Right. That's massive. I'm curious about you. Like, what do you need to do as a practitioner to show up, I'm going to say clean, right? Where you're, you've done your work, you, you know you're you know, in a secure mode. What do you need to do to prepare for your interaction with your clients? Yeah, uh, I would say there's two things. Um, okay, three things. <laughs> so <laughs> one is I work with a very, 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 very small number of clients at a time mm-hmm. for this reason because yeah. – Practically, I want the flexibility to be able to be available if anything does happen and they need some mm-hmm. uh, 
assistance, you know, they're at the doctor's appointment and something happened or they had to go to the hospital and something happened um, just for practical reasons, but also because it is really heavy work. Yeah. And and I need that space for me. And, mm-hmm. and some of that space is then filled with alone time. Some of it is filled with my own support system yeah. to help me kind of rejuvenate and, and support myself. Um, the second thing I would say is that I have a recognition that I'm not going to show up perfectly. And mm-hmm. so my intention is never to show up with, I am safe and I'm fine and I'm ready because that's mm-hmm. not realistic. And especially mm-hmm. in this pandemic that keeps going on forever, uh, it's not realistic. And, right. and that is, um, if we're going to add one more word to the approach that I have, it would be a salutogenic approach of mm-hmm. we're not going for perfection. We are mm-hmm. going for the fact that uh, physiological safety is what we want kind of as a a common experience most of the time. And also mm-hmm. there will be st- there will be times when I am activated and that's real. And so do I have what I need to help me come out of that before mm-hmm. um, each mm-hmm. of those calls? And so it takes the pressure off that, you know, things are happening in my life as well. And, and yeah, watch I the news. transition. <laughs> Right, which I don't because yeah. I would never show up anywhere. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh exactly. man, that, I just think that you're you are setting the bar high and well, right? And I think it's a great model for other practitioners to follow. I I would also add for other industries, like in the coaching industry, in the psychotherapy industry, for other industries where we're dealing with people's lives and their futures. Um, it is so important. So can we, um, there's so much I want to cover with you, but let me just focus on a few things. Um, tell us more about what we need to know if you are, um, going to engage in trying to have a pregnancy or are in a high risk pregnancy. Um, and there's, there's something in your life experience that is creating, um, uncertainty around that? Like, what do we need to know if you're the one going through that? Yeah. I would say first and foremost, that even if you are diagnosed as high risk, that doesn't actually mean anything for your outcomes. I know that that can sound really scary when a doctor says you are officially a high risk pregnancy or next time you're pregnant, it will be a high risk pregnancy. And that phrase Mm -hmm. can be really scary for some people. For some people, Mm -hmm. it's very validating because they know that they're going to get extra care. And for others, it's really scary. Um, and so I really want to highlight that just because you have that qualifier, it doesn't say anything about outcomes. All it means is you are at added risk. You or a future baby are at added risk for complications. And so you will have likely additional monitoring more than a low-risk pregnancy would. And that's all we know for a fact. Mm. Beyond that, then we have to take it almost like peeling an onion. What do we know now? What do we know now? And the reason I say that is because I find that we often treat pregnancy as similar to uh, outside of pregnancy in that the physiology is different than when we're pregnant, but we forget how dynamic the physiology is over Mm. those 40 weeks. Mm. And so there's very little, I feel like I have to say this often um, to people who want to work with me about... I cannot predict if even if you do this work pre-pregnancy, mm-hmm. I cannot tell you what's going to happen in the first trimester or the second trimester because mm-hmm. what I can tell you is it will be different. Mm-hmm. And even though you do say the the neurobiological 
body-based work for trauma healing pre-pregnancy, there are things that will unveil themselves in pregnancy that we mm-hmm. just don't know what they are yet. Right. And and so I think being really open that because it's a dynamic experience, having support all the way through is so important. We mm-hmm. can't spot treat pregnancy. I mean, we really can't spot treat anything in health, but right. really not with pregnancy. Yeah, like, right. Really can't do that. Um, And then what I often recommend is, especially if you have a history of anything, Mm -hmm. um, to really do your homework and dig deep to find answers. Uh, I have a personal, very strong belief and value that when a a physician or any kind of medical practitioner says, we don't know, it means we don't know yet. And Mm -hmm. that means somebody can help you find it. And if it's not this provider, who else can it be? And that's some of the work that we do sometimes is finding that provider or that practitioner. Uh, So don't settle for no answers. Um, Mm. Look for them. Figure out what happened before and get really clear on what that might mean for your future pregnancy. Where are the gaps? Get really clear about that. The more you understand what happened before – the much better off you're going to be about making different decisions for your next Mm. pregnancy. So interesting. I use the word surrender in the beginning. Um, And there is some, there's obviously surrender, but I'm also hearing agency, right? Like, yes, yes. and, and and it still doesn't mean the outcome is going to be what you want, but there is agency um, to impact how this dance happens. Um. Yes. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. It, there's something that it just gives me hope, right? It gives me hope yes. in a time, in a period of people's lives where they feel out of control or, you know, it's like, how does yes. my body know to grow a uterus? Like, how did that happen? You know? <laughs> and um, there's, it's so beautiful. You do feel out of control. It feels like it's happening to you, but I'm hearing yes. um, you can do some things um to regulate. So what are, I, I know there's a lot of nuance here, but just big picture, what are some of the things that your clients do or practice during their pre-pregnancy or pregnancy process that impact um, their experience? Well, pre-pregnancy, we, it's, I, I consider it kind of the foundational phase where we do a little bit of everything. So we're doing somatic work to help them heal from what they've been through before, whether it's a loss or a birth trauma, medical trauma, whatever it is. We do we do some of that. We support their health uh, to make sure that they've got what they need for a strong foundation for a healthy pregnancy. Oftentimes, they've developed a chronic illness or an autoimmune disease that's often stress-induced from the previous pregnancy, hypertension, mm. autoimmune diseases, things like that. So we want to kind of get that addressed from a neurobiological perspective because they've got everything else covered in terms of diet and lifestyle and, and all of that. And, and then we go into their health care and we go, what questions haven't been answered adequately yet? Can I get you those answers or do we need to build the team out a little bit differently? Are we mm. interviewing new people? Are we, are we firing people and hiring new ones? Mm-hmm. Like what are, what's going on there? And, and we do all of that in that foundational phase to get them set up. And part of that is helping them, uh, as we talked about at the beginning, get back into their bodies, which you said mm-hmm. so perfectly is very, very difficult to do. And so especially if you're living in a body right. with traumatic stress, your body is actively trying to keep you out of it because you don't need mm-hmm. introspection mm-hmm. when you are in that survival state. 
And so we very, very gently do a lot of practices that are actually personalized to each person's physiology, but essentially tapping into the sensory system, the sensory motor system, and helping kind of re-access these parts of our bodies that we had access to before whatever happened Mm -hmm. um, to get back in very, very gently. We don't go into tell me the story of what happened. There are obviously clients are willing to tell what they want to share. But really, we're allowing the body to tell the narrative first. I think that's so fascinating. And I mean, keep in mind, my work is also very CBD based, like very cognitive, you know, processing and very word related. And that's one of the things I think um, we are sometimes too much in our heads and our stories and we're we are ignoring the story in our body. And that's why the work is so important. Um, And it's not something we can see or rationalize, right? It's, it's, it is bigger than that. And I want to say it's like the animal of us. Like that's the mammal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? We are mammals. Um, and so you're working with the mammal body, so to speak. Um, because nature really has it figured out. Yeah. And we're just like supporting that. It makes me think about how important this work is for anybody, right? Like regardless of their family status or what they're trying to create in the world, um, just getting in your body in that way. I, I'm curious what clients report later um, about the skills that they learn for things that are non-pregnancy related. Or what are some oh of the my things gosh. that people say? I got a message not too long ago, actually, from a client that I worked with. Gosh, it's probably been three years now. I can't believe that. I can't, but it must have been three years at least. Mm-hmm. And she sent me a message and she, we had worked through uh, my whole, the Path to Baby is my program through pregnancy, from conception through homecoming. And um, after her whole really complicated experience and all of that, and she sent me a message just recently saying, I had to take my child to the pediatrician um, for, I think, a vaccine or checkup or something. And, and, they were scared and they were really having a tough time being there. And she said, I I was doing the practices with my child and my pediatrician was watching and my child just completely felt so safe. All of a sudden, mm. he, you could see it on his face, his whole body just changed. And then they were able to proceed with the, the appointment and whatever they're doing. And just to hear that from mm-hmm. somebody, of, she didn't just do this for herself. She did mm-hmm. this so that her at the time the fetus could impact could benefit mm-hmm. from the work that she was doing and now it's come into parenting as well so she's teaching her child her toddler mm-hmm. that this is how we are in the world when we feel scared when we feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. when we feel helpless I just I cried mm-hmm. <laughs> I just went yeah. oh my goodness mm-hmm. you're making oh, me tear up <laughs> <laughs> No, because that's like, that's the bigger question. Like, how do we stop this cycle? How do we stop the stress cycle? How do we stop stop the trauma cycle? Like, how do we not pass on those hard, those unhealthy patterns that we learned, right? How do we create new yeah. patterns? Like what you're doing, and this is what I meant about, there's a, there's a larger impact that you're having beyond the individual or that family. It's much bigger. So that child will go into the world and self-regulate in a way that others might not. And they're going to pass it on to the team they lead when they're adults and their, their partnerships, right? It's just gorgeous. I love, love the work that you're doing. It's so amazing. Um, I'm just wondering, is there anything else that we need to know about your work or things that are often misunderstood um, around the topic and the work that you do? 
I think there's one thing that pops into mind, which is kind of what we started with. That's We hear the word stress tied to health complications and especially around reproductive health and perinatal health, and it can feel really shamey and blamey. And and so what I really want to hit home for people Mm -hmm. is that stress is the word that describes the physiological chain reaction our body has at a nonverbal level to keep us alive. That's all it is. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it shows up as thoughts. Sometimes it shows up as mental health symptoms. Sometimes it shows up at cardiovascular symptoms, respiratory symptoms, reproductive symptoms, digestive symptoms. But it is a physiological chain reaction that happens outside of our verbal abilities. So it is not your fault. I really, Mm. really want to drive that home. It is not your fault whether you have developed an autoimmune disease because of traumatic stress or chronic stress, if you have heart disease, if you're dealing with asthma, if you're dealing with pregnancy complications, it is not your fault. And your body is asking for what it needs to come out of this survival Mm. state. Mm. It sounds Mm -hmm. so woo sometimes, and I don't know how to make it sound more concrete, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. our Mm -hmm. bodies are asking for Mm -hmm. it. And we just have to retrain ourselves to hear it. Right? We have hunger. It's a signal. We feed it. And so if we have stress response, it's a signal. And then we do. And and that's why I think we don't do well as a culture, right? We don't. If we're hungry, we know to eat. If we're thirsty, we know to drink. But if we have stress, we normalize it, right? Oh, you must be really productive, (laughs) right? You're like, you've got a a lot of responsibility. We glorify it. Or if you're stressed, then you're not doing it right. Like we don't look at it like, um, like another internal signal for our, our bodies. Yeah. And Exactly. Yeah. Up until my 20s or even early 30s, I lived from the chin up. You know, I was just basically a head, you know, and my body was like, actually, let's just ignore the body. Let's let's work against the body. And um, at least in my culture, I don't I didn't learn how to do that. And I have to do that in my 30s and 40s. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the work that you're doing, I know who you work with directly, but I think it applies big picture for so many people. It um, does. Yes. And in the pandemic, actually, I ended up expanding my services a little bit to outside of pregnancy because mm. there were just so many people who were recognizing, oh, we're 18 months in, we're two years in. I get it now. <laughs> my mm-hmm. body is screaming mm-hmm. at me mm-hmm. and I'm ready I'm ready to to approach it differently. So yeah, I, I agree with you that it's it's quite um, generalizable in, yeah. in some ways. Yeah. yeah it's beautiful. It's, speak a little bit about your own personal experience. I'm curious what advice you have for people who are in relationship and community with those who are going through this process, who are um, trying to start a family or have had um, complications in the past. What advice do you have? What should we do and what should we absolutely not do? <laughs> Don't tell them to relax and calm down. Do not say that. <laughs> Oh no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the the if you can ask yourself when you're around somebody who is clearly exhibiting that they are stressed, they're overwhelmed, 
Um, they're fearful of whatever lies ahead on their family building journey. Mm-hmm. I would say it's two things. One is can you reframe what they're saying or how they're behaving to what are they asking for? Mm-hmm. Because I think we tend to switch it to just judging behavior. Like, mm-hmm. oh, there she goes again, cleaning the whole house. She's just so neurotic mm-hmm. like that or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And and instead, you know, looking at I'm not going to try to stop her from doing that. What does she possibly need and can I help her find that? Mm. And and truth be told, to be able to do that, I think, requires you to do your own work, Mm -hmm. quite honestly. If you want to support somebody through this, as we talked about before, your physiological state is going to impact how that goes. And, And so prioritize that. So mm-hmm. you can show up the way you want to for your loved one. And I think that's true for whether you're family, friend, but also if you're a provider or a practitioner. Mm. It's so important. I mean, we talk about trauma-informed um, and we talk about trauma healing. It's not just left to the patient right. to do that work. It has to happen at a systemic level. It has to include the practitioner. It has to include the hospital or the clinic they're a part of. It has to include the industry and the world overall. So we all have a role to play in helping mm-hmm prevent, you know, birth trauma, medical trauma, um, and and ending, as you said, intergenerational mm-hmm. trauma and really mm-hmm. perpetuating intergenerational healing mm-hmm. starts really with each of us individually, whatever the relationship is that we have right. with that it's, person. And that's always like one of those things I realized, you know, even for example, as I show up as a parent, I'm like, oh man. This is actually about me. <laughs> always, always. It's like, oh, I have got, I got more work to do. Dang it! <laughs> it's like, yep. I thought I could get away with it this time, but no, I can't. <laughs> oh man! So, do you mind if we focus on you for a little bit? Um, sure, sure. And so, it sounds like I mean, you do such amazing work, and it sounds like you're doing you, part of your work is doing your own work, right? To stay mm-hmm. in that commitment to your clients. Um, I'm curious a little bit about, um, you know, what's going on in your life, bigger picture. Uh, There's a lot going on in the world, right? (laughs) Um, As you know, I have this process called ATT, Ambitious Transformation and Transition. I'm curious, what transitions are you feeling right now? Oh, my goodness. I feel like everything is in transit at the moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Totally. Um, I mean, I think parenting is just one gigantic transition (laughs) from... Mm-hmm. conception through end of life, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so keeping up with the changing demands from mm-hmm. the children and as a parent in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in the middle of a big transition business-wise in incorporating mm-hmm. some of this work to provide the support for providers and practitioners to really meet their patients where the patients need to be met. Um, so that's been really exciting Mm. and, um, a lot of personal transitions and uh, about kind of where we want to live and Mm. where we want to be and how we want to move around in the world, given that we are a high risk family and we're Mm -hmm. still in an ongoing pandemic. So Mm -hmm. uh, I would say we're in the point of transition with lots of questions and not a lot of answers quite yet. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. So when you think about that journey for you, um, you know, oftentimes when we're in transit in so many layers, there is an internal transformation that happens or external, for example, the pandemic um, or something performance led. It kind of sounds like you're going through all three transformations at the same time. 
It seems like it. Yes. Um, (laughs) That would probably Mm -hmm. be very accurate. Mm -hmm. I think I'm definitely most inspired by the internal Mm -hmm. um, transformations for sure. Like once I can understand, imagine, visualize, whatever we want to call it, what that next step can be, it feels like everything clicks into place. Mm. So a lot of the work for me has been internal, even when there are external transitions happening. Right. And I'm guessing, you know, because one of the things I talk about is we do, and I think this is where our work is aligned, where we have, when we're in transformation, we can shape it, right? Because that's what you're doing with your clients. You're helping them shape their experience, maybe even shape the outcomes, although we can't always control the outcomes, right? Um, what are you doing now to shape your transformation? I think I am spending a lot of time getting really clear about what I want. Mm. For me, I think that helps me to know where I'm headed. If Mm -hmm. there's any level of clarity about that, if it looks like a mirage to me, I won't move. Mm -hmm. But if Mm -hmm. I can get some kind of shape around it, even if it's not super clear, I'll at least start to take several steps forward. And Mm -hmm. in those steps forward, it becomes clearer and clearer. Are we going straight? Are we going a little left? Are we going to have to turn right? Mm -hmm. Um, What does that look like? But so I think for me, that's a really, really big part of the transformation process. Mm -hmm. That's good. And I'm guessing you're doing all of your work, like your embodied work um, to stay grounded in that process. So in terms of ambitious, what is your definition or what does ambitious look like for you right now? You know, ambitious right now, starting to look like um, playing by my own rules. Mm. Mm. recognizing which rules don't work or never have worked and I'm not going to play by them anymore. Mm. Um, Really rewriting them for what makes sense for me, my family, life, health, all Mm. of that, um, regardless of what it sounds like on paper. Right. You know, it's so interesting. I just talked to my one of my groups that I have about that right now. We feel like we're in a time where we used to, maybe even three, four years ago, we used to look to best practices. Uh Uh-huh. Or we would look to thought leaders, you know, gurus or whatever, and we would we would absorb that. But now we're at a position where it's like, no, we have to look inside by, like you said, your own rules. Um, but it's noisy. There's a lot of noise out there. Totally. So it's like, how do I shut out that noise and listen to myself and do my script, not someone else's script? Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I'm seeing that in many conversations I have with people, and I'm my hunch is that all that we're seeing with this, you know, environmental crisis, racial reckoning, pandemic, polarization, right? We've been put into that state of, wait a minute, <laughs> now I decide. I, I have right. to make my choice, right? Because it is hard when we, in polarization, depending on where you are, you know, there's two, there's two rights. Oh, wait, there's two wrongs. There's, you know what I mean? It's like, no, wait a minute. What, what is the right for me? What do I need to do? Right. Um, so it's interesting you say that. That's so wonderful. Thank you so much um, for everything you've shared. I want to hear more where Pregnancy Brain is a brilliant book that you've written. Um, Can you tell people a little bit about Pregnancy Brain and where they can go to find it? Sure. So that is the book I wrote. It's going to be about four years now, which is hard to believe. Yeah. I know. (laughs) Um, Pregnancy Brain was a book I wrote specifically for people who are going through a high-risk pregnancy, though I have heard Mm -hmm. from people who are not yet pregnant who have really Mm -hmm. benefited from the book as well. Um, And it's intended to be a resource 
to um, to give hope and to give mm-hmm. agency and show aid where we have some agency. There's actually an entire chapter mm-hmm. on surrendering, so that mm-hmm. resonates very much. Um, about you know really showing you where you have the power to influence the change or the the direction of your pregnancy. You know, none of us who are going through a high risk pregnancy are naive to the fact that anything could happen. Mm-hmm. And also, um, it's really meant for people who are looking for okay, but even if anything could happen, is there something mm-hmm. I can do to influence? That. So it talks a little bit about you know the introduction to stress physiology and its mm-hmm. impact on pregnancy. It has a little bit of my story, a little bit of client stories for motivation and hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get that from my website, barijatdeshpande.com. Uh, there's a link there for the book. Um, it's available on Amazon and you can ask your local independent books stores and libraries and all of that to bring that over to you. That's so good. Well, we'll make sure that we put the link um, in our show notes. Um, thank you so much. Um, you want to tell our listeners what you're working on next? Um, so I'm I'm building out the uh, consulting piece of my business to work with and partner with clinics and organizations and hospitals, mm-hmm. anything from fertility clinics all the way through NICUs um, and anything in between to really help them uh, implement trauma-sensitive practices, mm. uh, which includes not only how they work with patients, but also how they support their own employees to be able to show up for patients the way that they need. Uh, so mm. that's kind of next. Um, and then um, building out some more opportunities to speak on different stages about this concept of stress physiology and pregnancy outcomes and how we just cannot afford to ignore this anymore. Mm. We cannot afford to keep talking about stress as a cognitive thought-based mental health issue, Mm -hmm. we have to incorporate it as part of standardized prenatal care. So that's just one of the many things that are going on (laughs) over here. I mean, it's so wonderful. For me, I just love watching how your work has grown and the impact has has just multiplied over the years. I think we met over five years ago. I I know Ah. maybe six years ago. Um, So it's just been wonderful to see what you're doing. And I, I think you're such an amazing steward of your talents that you're you. making such an impact in people's lives. So thank you so much for being here um, and sharing your wisdom with everyone. And thank you for those who are here listening to In Transit with Sunday Bean. I appreciate you being here as well. I'll leave you with the thoughts from Albert Schweitzer. The doctor of the future will be oneself. Um. <laughs>